And church, if uh, we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kyle, and I have the honor and privilege of serving as the associate pastor here at Crossroads Christian Church. And I have been given the gift uh, recently this summer of a sabbatical. And so um, if you haven't seen me around, if you're, if you're new here to Crossroads this summer, uh, welcome. Uh, I look forward to, to meeting you and to catching up and to getting to know you um, here uh, over the next few weeks and months. And uh, today, uh, church, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Psalm 130. And that's where we are going to be uh, today. So um, now that our kids have kind of made their way out, they're going to Crossroads Kids, um, we're in here. Let's go ahead and get started with the text today. Um, but first, we need to talk. We need to talk. Has anyone ever been on the receiving end of that sentence? Hey, we need to talk. We need to talk. Are there four scarier words put together in the English language than those? Hey, we need to talk. We need to talk. When we hear that, that has a, has a way of sparking in us an unstoppable wave of guilt, shame, worry, anxiety, fear, and sometimes just a general sense of unease. <laughs> When we hear those words, there's probably two things that we immediately think. We think one of these two things. We either think, what have I done? Or, how did they find out? Even if you can't think of anything that you've done wrong, you still feel guilty. You still feel like, oh man, there's something out there, there's something looming, it's coming. They said we need to talk. We all live with a sense of guilt, big or small, and sometimes we don't even know why. Or maybe you have done something and you have a fear of being exposed for that thing. Or you have guilt over having to live with something that you've done in your past. Guilt is a real feeling. And we all know what it feels like to feel guilty. And today we're wrapping up our series on the Psalms, how to deal with how you feel. And we are doing that with Psalm 130. Psalm 130 will be our text today. And today's topic, if you haven't figured it out already, is guilt. Now, I have to admit to you, um, in preparation for this sermon, I borrowed heavily from two great preachers for the bulk of this sermon. The first one is Tim Keller, who pastored at Redeemer Presbyterian Church uh, for years right here in New York. And the second is from our very own Pastor Will McGee. So together, you and I are standing um, on the shoulders of those who have taught before us on this very, very important passage of Scripture and on the topic of guilt how to deal with how we feel guilt. So let's read the scriptures together to see how to deal with our guilt. If you have your Bibles, read along with me. In Psalm 130, the words should also be up on the screen for you. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So today, church, I'm going to keep the sermon very, very straightforward. Let's focus on the main things here. Guilt is something that we all deal with, and the forgiveness of God is something that we all need. 
So let's explore this together. So the question for today, I'm going to give you the roadmap. I'm going to lay it out. You're going to know where we're going right on the front end. The question for today is, how do I deal with my guilt? And the answer is found in three steps. Confess your guilt, believe the gospel, and put your hope in the Lord. These steps are outlined for us perfectly in Psalm 130. Now, maybe you're here on Labor Day Sunday, and you've been a Christian for a long time, and you're thinking, hmm, not really sure this sermon applies to me. Because you've already been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ for your sins. But let me ask you, don't you too still struggle sometimes with guilt? Or, or don't you too still sometimes struggle with a general sense of being unworthy, even if you can't put your finger on why or how? Hang with me today, and I will show you how the basics of God's forgiveness still apply to you. So let's jump right in. Your first step on how to deal with your guilt. Your first step, confess your guilt. The scriptures say, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. So note two things here in these first two verses. First, the author of the psalm is calling out specifically to the Lord. He's not crying out to help um, to anybody or to nobody. He's asking for mercy from the Lord God Almighty. That's who he's asking for mercy from. He's saying, I'm asking the Lord for his mercy. He's confessing his sin and his guilt to God, specifically to God. For he understands, as we also must understand, that the Lord God is the only Savior. The Lord God's the only one worth confessing that to. Second, the author recognizes that he is in a deep place. He's far away from safety, and it sounds like he's certainly far away from solid ground. And he understands, as we ought to, that his sin has brought him to that place. And so he's confessing that to the Lord, and he's asking for God's mercy. Church, our guilt must be recognized and confessed, or here's what's going to happen. And maybe you know this is true already. Our guilt must be recognized and confessed, or it will lead us into an endless cycle of guilt, which leads to shame, which leads to more guilt about feeling shame, which leads to more shame about the guilt, and on and on and on and on, and we just go in the spiral. So you might be asking, well, Pastor Kyle, what's the difference between guilt and shame? Guilt, uh, Tim Keller says, guilt is feeling bad about what I've done. Shame is feeling bad about who I am. I'll say it again. Guilt is feeling bad. It's when you feel bad about what you have done. Shame is when you feel bad about who you are. So you see there's a relationship here. And you see that even if you're someone who thinks the idea of guilt is maybe an old-fashioned idea, like, oh, that's just, that's just how people used to feel back in the day when we had a different societal structure, when we had a different family structure than we have today. But, you know, we're modern people. We live in, you know, Brooklyn in 2022, and we've kind of moved beyond, like, feeling bad about stuff. <laughs> even if you think that, you know you still sometimes can feel shame. You know that you at times have felt unworthy or wrong or bad, even if you didn't like know why you felt like you didn't measure up to some standard. Even if you can't put your finger on what's making you feel that way, you have felt it. We all have felt that before in our lives. We all share this common human experience. In Tim Keller, he actually compares guilt and shame to a pit. He said it's a pit. He's looking at Psalm 130, and, 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 it, looked, and it looks that way. Uh, when you read it, it says guilt and shame is like a pit. It's a pit that we are sinking down into. 
Guilt and shame have put us into a pit. But church, I'm here today to tell you that Jesus Christ is the rope out of the pit. You cannot pull yourself up out of that pit because it's too deep. You need somebody from the outside. You need somebody who is on solid ground to help raise you up out of that pit. We must confess our guilt to the Lord. The Bible tells us that we must do this. And we must do this because we recognize and believe what the scripture says in verse 3. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? You see, God's standard is his perfect holiness. That's his standard. And by the way, in case you're wondering, only God meets his own standard. Only God meets his own standard. We all fall short. The Bible tells us we all fail at meeting that standard. And the psalmist, the author of the psalm, he understood that too. And we must understand it. Okay, by now you're thinking, come on, Pastor Kyle, you've been away on sabbatical for two months, and you come back on a holiday weekend with this encouraging message, this is what you have, that there's a standard and we can't meet it and we all fail and we all fall short, and that we're in a pit, this is what you bring on Labor Day Sunday? Hang with me for a moment, church, the good news is coming. Jesus is going to turn this thing around, okay? So let's talk about step two, and, and, and we'll get there. Step two. How do we answer the question of how do we deal with our guilt? Step two, believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. Verses three and four encapsulate the gospel message of the Bible pretty well. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. So here's the thing. The gospel tells us a few things. It tells us a few things about us, and it tells us a few things about God. Listen to these gospel truths. Here's some truths for you. Because of our sin, no one can stand before God. We see that clearly in these verses. Because of our sin, nobody can stand before God. God's judgment, in fact, is poured out on us because of our sin, because God's standard is perfect holiness. It's his perfection. And that's the standard by which we are judged. So we, we can't stand before God. We receive the judgment for our sin. And, and why is that? Because God is holy, holy. He's totally other than we are. <laughs> he's totally perfect. He's totally holy. And you and I are just not that way. We, we've lived long. I think everybody in this room has lived long enough to know that we are not perfect. And our sin, our guilt, and our shame, they've put us down in a pit. But Jesus is the rope out of the pit. Now, you might be asking, how? How is Jesus the rope out of the pit? How is that possible? Well, God forgives how? God forgives. God forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives, and he forgives. Are you getting it? God forgives. Guilt and shame put us in a pit, but Jesus Christ is the rope out of the pit. Jesus is the one who has taken all the wrath of God upon himself so that you and I can be forgiven. That's the good news of the gospel. When you're in a pit, you can't pull yourself up out of it because it's, it's too tall, it's too deep, it's too far. You need somebody on the outside, somebody who's on the solid ground to throw you the rope and raise you up. And that's what Jesus Christ offers. When you're in the pit of sin, guilt, and shame, and spiritual death seems all but certain, you need the soul-saving rope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to hoist you out of death and into eternal life. And that's what Jesus Christ offers. So when we say, you come to church, you go to a, you go to a group here at Crossroads, you serve and you, or, or you, you interact or do life with Christians, and you hear people say things like, believe the gospel, believe the gospel. 
This is the gospel we're talking about. This is, what, this is what all those Christians that you've wondered in your whole life, like, what are they talking about? They use this word gospel. Nobody else uses that word. Um, that's what we're talking about. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news that God forgives sinners. And that when you feel deep in that pit, when you feel like you can't even forgive yourself, and you feel like the shame is piling on, Jesus comes to you and he says these words. He says, I have received the punishment you deserve. There's forgiveness for you. It's a free gift. You just must receive it. Receive it. Here. Here it is. Here it is. I'm extending it to you. Here's the rope to get out of that pit. Grab hold and never let go, Jesus says, because I'll never let go of you. Believe the gospel. Believe that. Believe that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for you to be saved. Believe that you yourself cannot earn God's favor, earn anything from God. It's a free gift that he graciously extends to you. Believe it. It's a gift, but it's a gift that God gives to all who will believe in the name of his son, Jesus. And believe that, church, believe that, and you'll find your rope out of that pit. You'll find your rope out of the pit of guilt and of shame. Step number three, put your hope in the Lord. Put your hope in the Lord. I want to point out that Psalm 130, it actually begins with a pretty negative tone, but it ends with such hope, such hope, hope in God. Let's define a few terms. What is hope? What is hope? Well, the Oxford Dictionary says that hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. Hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. Now, the book of Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So let's put those together. If hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire that a certain thing may happen, and faith is an assurance of the things that we're hoping for, it's like, okay, this thing that we're hoping for to happen, biblical hope now becomes, hey, our biblical faith now becomes, hey, we know this thing's going to happen. There's an assurance that what we are hoping in is going to play out. Then faith starts to grow, right? And so you see, if we're to have faith, if we're to have true biblical faith, our faith has to be rooted in whatever and whoever our hope is in. You can't have hope in hope or faith in faith. You see this. Like you, sometimes you might hear people say things like, well, I just had hope in hope that this would happen, or I just had faith in faith that this would happen. Well, it's like, well, what is your faith in? What is your hope in? Because that matters. What or who is the object of your faith? What or who is serving as your savior or your redeemer? Is it your job? Is it your career? Do you put all, all of your hope in, in what happens, you know, Monday through Friday during the, during the work week? Is it, is it career? Is it, is it the promotion? Is it like, does your redeemer fail you? Does your savior fail you if you don't get the promotion because you were hoping you were putting everything into that? Maybe it's something with your family um, or, or a relationship. Maybe it's a spousal uh, relationship. Maybe it's the desire for that. And you're thinking like, if I just have this one thing and then when it slips away, you lose hope. Maybe it's, uh, maybe for children or teenagers, it, it's in your parents. And then maybe they let you down. Newsflash, parents sometimes let their kids down. It happens. Maybe, maybe you have hope in financial gain. Um, maybe you think, man, if I just had this much money in my IRA or my 401k or my checking account or my savings account, maybe if I just had this much, then I know that life would be okay and I wouldn't have to worry about anything anymore. 
Um, or maybe it's education. If I have this degree, this piece of paper on the wall that says I've figured these things out, maybe that is what's going to give it to me. Maybe for you it's physical fitness. <laughs> maybe you're putting all your hope in your physical fitness and you just say like, man, like if I can just be this fast or this strong or jump this high, then that's going to do great things for me. And church, I just want to remind you, like if any of, if any of those things are your real source of hope or if any of those things are, are functioning as your savior or your redeemer, then you will always feel like you're coming up short. You'll always feel like you're chasing, 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 and never really getting there. Or maybe you get there a little bit, kind of sort of halfway, but then the, line, the finish line gets extended for you, and you just never arrive. And you're chasing things that don't satisfy. The Bible gives us a better way. That's the good news. The Bible tells us those things don't have to be your redeemer. There's a better redeemer. There's a better savior. Look at verses seven and eight. They say, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Hope in the Lord. With the Lord, there's steadfast love. With the Lord, there's plentiful redemption. Not this much redemption, not a little bit of redemption, not, not a small amount, plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Do you see it now, church? Why we hope in God? Why, why God has to be the source of the object of our hope for us to have real hope and real faith? God is love, and his love overcomes our fear and our pain. Just as a sad child runs to their parent with all the hope in the world that the parent will comfort them, so too can we hope in God's love to give us the peace that surpasses all understanding, even in the middle of the storm. God's forgiveness gives us hope, church, because we know that, our, that in our struggle with sin, our guilt and our shame, it's one day it's all gonna be washed away by the blood of Jesus and it will be no more. The guilt that you feel, the shame that you feel, the Bible tells us it will be no more because the blood of Jesus cleanses it and washes it away. God's redemption, church, gives us hope. His redemption gives us hope because we know that he's preparing a place for us. Isn't that good news? Like, have you ever thought about this one? Like, he's preparing a place. The Bible says it's a place for you to spend, for what? Well, what am I gonna do in that place? You're gonna spend eternity with him in that place. And it will be glorious. We live in a city where there's lots of construction, right? And you see these new buildings go up and then they put the big like 60 foot ad on the side and there's like a swimming pool and you're like, that would be nice right about now to have a pool like that. That would be really great. Um, well, just imagine what God's building for you, the place that he's building. Um, by the way, if you're tired of seeing those mice in your apartment, this should definitely give you hope. Um, remember, all the remnants of the curse of sin, I think that includes the mice, the subway rats, um, all that stuff's gonna be kept out of heaven, right? Like, can we agree on that? Can we get behind that? Uh, Maybe your cat might not be there either, though. That's the only thing you really got to think about. They, the cat might not make the cut. I don't know. Um, but we hope because he's preparing a place for us. And he says, where, where, where you will be, I will be. And where I will be, you will be. We hope in God because he's the one who keeps his promises. This is a big one, church. He keeps his promises. Everything that's written in the pages of Scripture, God fulfills. He does it. He does it all. He, he, he doesn't miss one punctuation mark in fulfilling everything that he promises. 
And he promises a big one if you're struggling with guilt and with shame. He promises never to leave you and never to forsake you. And he promises that he's going to shower undeserved kindness, (laughs) undeserved mercy, and undeserved grace all over you. So how does our hope in the Lord actually play out in day-to-day lives? How do we actually, so you say, okay, Kyle, you tell us, hope in the Lord. Well, how, like, like how does that happen? How do I do that? Um, I think the answer is found in, you ready? This is, this is a difficult one. The answer is found in waiting. In waiting. It says we wait on God. We wait on God. Look at verses five and six. The psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. So we wait on the Lord. We wait. Now, church, you may or may not know this, but here on the Crossroads staff team, uh, we have four, we have four uh, uh, paid staff members here at the church. Uh, there is one member of that four um, who is not a gifted vocalist. There is one member of that four who's not a gifted vocalist. There's three others who are, who can sing pretty well. Guess which one's preaching today? But nonetheless, there's a great song by Maverick City Music. Um, it's, a, it's a Christian band, and uh, they're a worship band, and, and the title of the song is called Wait On You. And it so very well encapsulates the idea of waiting. And I'm going to read you the lyrics to parts of the song, and you can listen to the professional singers on your own time. You'll thank me later. So the lyrics say, I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait on you. I've tasted your goodness. I'll trust in your promise. I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to wait on you. I've tasted your goodness. I'll trust in your promise. Wait on the Lord. He will renew your strength. So wait, I say. Instead of trying in your own strength, you should just wait. Instead of calculating what would happen if you go wrong, you should just wait. My steps are ordered by the Lord. Yeah, I should just wait. We wait on God because we know he will do what he says. He's never failed, church. He's never failed us. He's never failed in one of his promises, ever. And we trust that what Christ did for us on the cross is enough. And we trust that one day God has said he's coming back and he's coming back for us. And so we have hope in God and our waiting, the process of waiting both develops that hope and is an expression of that hope. So as we wait, hope grows. As we wait, we're showing that we have hope. Now, this is often the point in our service where we have a time for you to respond, to respond to what you've seen, um, to what you've sung earlier in the service, and to what you've heard today. And also at this time, we're, we're gonna sing one more song of worship. And as we do, there are multiple ways in which you can respond. The first way is if you're a follower of Jesus and have been baptized, um, we would invite you to to come and join us in the taking of communion. And up in the front here um, on the tables, we have the bread and we have the cup prepared for you. Communion is a reminder in tangible form of Jesus's broken body, which is represented by the bread, and his shed blood, which is represented by the juice for you. His body was broken and his blood was shed for you, for us. This is a time, church, this is why we do this every week. It's a time to confess your sin to him, 
to reflect and remember what Jesus gave for you to be saved. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you've been baptized, we would invite you. That's one way you can respond. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today, we ask that instead of taking the bread and taking the cup today, that you would consider receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This involves a, a church word that maybe you've heard, uh, repenting. Repenting. All, all, all repenting means is you turn, you're, you're turning. You're doing a 180 a U-turn, if you will. You're turning away from sin and you're turning towards God and you're believing that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for you to be saved. And that's something that you can do in your seat right where you are. You can pray. Uh, His grace is available for you today. So we would invite you to consider receiving Christ today. And if you need prayer or you want to talk about, uh, um, you want to talk about what that looks like or, or maybe there's a struggle in your life or something that you want to share, if you need prayer, I'll be up at the front um, uh, during this last song. Pastor Will will be up here, and perhaps some of our deacons, too, will be up here. And um, we will be up here for the purpose of praying for you. It would be an honor for us to pray for you. And lastly, you can stand and you can sing uh, these songs of worship, and that can be a way that you respond. So this is our time of response in the service. You can stand and sing. You can take communion. You can pray right where you are. Um, But however you need to respond today, I would, I would encourage you to go ahead and respond as our band uh, begins to play. Thank you.